Grab your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. As you're turning there, just a little bit of recap. We're, we've come to chapter 11 in Hebrews, and what the pastor to this church in Hebrews has been doing is he's trying his best to encourage people who are being tempted to let go of their faith. He's doing everything in his power to encourage them to hold on, to remain, to be steadfast, to persevere in the faith that they now have in Christ Jesus. And helping them do that, he has used examples of people who they looked at as heroes in them faith, ones that should be pointing to Jesus, the true ultimate hero of their faith. And he's going to get there in a second. But what he's done so far is he's ran through some Old Testament characters and he's talked about them. And last week, really last two weeks, we leaned into specifically one really important Old Testament character, this guy named Abraham. And this promise that God gave to Abraham, this promise that he said, I am going to give you a land a lineage, and I am going to be your Lord. And we talked about last week, it was a heavy week, wasn't it? We talked about last week how we are people who have, if we are in Christ, we have a Jewish heritage to our faith. That this God who showed up and called this Jewish nation into becoming the one who would inherit this land and have this ultimate lineage through which Jesus would come and he would be the Lord of them, that we now, if we are in Christ, we are a part of and inheritors of that same land and that same Lord because we are now in Christ, adopted into that family, and we have that same lineage. So he's done all of this, walked them through this, and if you're here today going like, what in the world does any of this mean for me? Listen, if you're here and you feel like, I'm bumping into things in life that make it hard for me to follow Christ. That is exactly what this church was going through. And hopefully by you being able to understand that your life is not just an isolated incident, that if you're in Christ, you're part of a much bigger, grander story. It should honestly take some weight off of your shoulders to realize that everything isn't living and breathing and hanging in the balance in my little story, but I'm actually a part of something so much bigger that God is writing. And if he's written this story and working through this story, then I can trust he's going to take care of the little or big details of my life as well. So hopefully you're there. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start in verse, we'll start in 17. We'll go down to 22. 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That was his only son. That was the son that the promise was coming through. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, this is our verses for today. We're talking about Abraham's sons now. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention to the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we believe it is living and active. And even though these stories that we're going to read about are from guys who are um, not living and active, they have been gone uh, and into eternity a long, long time ago. The things we can learn from their storage story and the things we can learn about our lineage from their faith lived out can help us right here, right now, today. Father, I, I thank you for how you've drawn your people together today. Help us to have not drawn together in vain, not to 
to feel better, not to uh, mark a religious check out of a box, but to show up today to hear the gospel, to know that the gospel is the only thing that has the power to change lives. Jesus, I pray that nothing else is communicated today than the truth that you so love the world that you gave your son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This good news, Jesus, that you looked at us as sinful as we were and you became sin, you the one who knew no sin, so that in you we may become the righteousness of God so that we could be brought into the family. Jesus, I pray a specific pointed prayer today for those who are here and do not have faith in you. Pray that they would hear the gospel, they would see the truth of the story that maybe unbeknownst to them they've been a part of, they felt a little bit, but not really surrendered to. They would put their hope and faith and trust in you today. In your name, amen. So to recap kind of where we've been as far as the last two weeks go. Last week we introduced this big idea that God shows up to this man named Abraham and he explains to him that through him is going to come these three things. Through him and his family, he is going to get this promised land that the lineage is going to be really important, that they're going to be a numerable nation. And then on top of that, the Lord himself will come and rule through this line of people. We walk through and talk through all that. I would, I'm really hesitant to ever do this, um, to go, hey, you really got to go back and listen to something I said. Um, but I would, I would totally say, like, if you are confused about what's happening in the world right now, if you have a hard time realizing, well, why do people of Islam and people who are Jewish really hate each other? And what does that have to do with any of us who are Christians? Last week, we dug into all of that. I talked about um, the Hamas spirit as opposed to the Holy Spirit. We leaned into all those things last week. I would highly encourage you, if you missed some of that, go back in. Uh, some of what we're going to talk today is going to kind of sound cloudy. If you haven't heard last week, which is all the more reason for you to show up and come in every single week and not skip stuff. But that's besides the point. Let's move on and get into today. This is where he continues, and he's continuing to go through this. And he's going to talk about his sons. Remember, the pastor to the church in Hebrews is helping them understand these are Old Testament heroes, but we can learn things about faith that will help us from looking back at them. Let's start at the first one. Hebrews eleven twenty, our first verse. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings. If you're an underliner of stuff, underline future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So we got this guy, Isaac, to recap, make sure we're all on the same page. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of juicy family details today. If you thought your family was crazy and was off and just had drama, wait till you get to the Bible. There is this guy, Abraham and Sarah. They are as good as dead, and God promises them a child. That child's name is Isaac. Isaac eventually grows up. He goes through some crazy stuff on his own. He grows up, and then he is promised to have kids. He has twins. So Isaac grows up. And he has twins, and their names are Jacob and Esau. I want to show you a little bit about their story. If you will, go to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. We're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis, so go ahead and like, we're going to turn there, uh, put a finger in it. Genesis 25. We'll stay there for a while. Genesis 25, 22. As you're turning there, similar to Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, also have a hard time having children. It's a common thread throughout people that God uses greatly, that they struggle with that. And this is one of the things that shows up. They are struggling with that. Eventually, God promises that she will give birth to children. She does become pregnant. Verse 22 is where we pick up the story of what's going on inside of her. So 
Genesis 25, verse 22. The children, she has twins, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? She's like, why is all this going on? Why is this stuff going on inside my womb? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Great place to go. You got some crazy stuff going on in your life. You go to the Lord. Great thing we can learn there. And then the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, which I don't know. I've never been a woman, but if God tells me two nations are in your womb, I don't hear anything else after that. I just, I'm passing out. I'm, I'm calling the doc. I'm calling somebody else. Um, this is just a very intense moment here for, uh, I guess, Rebecca. He says, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. And here's the key. The older shall serve the younger. Now to explain Hebrew birthrights, that was unheard of. If you were the firstborn of the family, you received that firstborn blessing, which also meant that you would get a double portion of all of your family stuff. It also meant that you carried the high honor of carrying on whatever family lineage, as far as work, as far as resources, you did what your father did. It was on your shoulders to continue on in what the family was doing. It was looked at as a high honor. Most of the other, all the other brothers would look at you and, and they would want the job that you had. They would want the order that you were born in. And what God does here in this story is he shows up to Rebecca. And he lets her know the way it normally goes is not going to be how it goes with you. I don't know about you, but does it ever feel like, like that's kind of your life too? The way it normally goes, it does not seem to be how it's going with me. And God does that sometimes. And this story is a reminder that when things aren't going as they normally do, God still works in some amazing ways. Now, ladies in the room you be the judge of this. I don't know what Rebecca did with this information that she got from God. She might've went and told Isaac, the Bible doesn't give us necessarily those details. She might've said, okay, God, you told me this. And then she might've just been like, hey, so while you're at work today, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> so uh, there was a rugby match going on inside of my womb and I got really desperate and I prayed to God. And he said that two nations were at war with inside of me basically. And the younger one was going to serve the older one. I don't know if that's how it happened. I don't know that if Isaac was in the know on all of that. My guess is she did communicate it to Isaac. And I'll show you some of my reasons why I would imagine that. I think that would just be natural for her to communicate that to him. What we're gonna to come to find out in the story is that Rebecca seems set on what God has told her. Isaac, the concept of his older son serving his younger son does not sit well with him. And you see that by what begins to happen in these two boys' lives. So let's kind of walk through that a little bit to give you a backstory of what's going on. Uh, one of the stories that jumps right out to me is right off the bat, these two boys grow up and one is named Esau, which means red. He is described as being super hairy in the Bible. The Bible just, when I get to heaven, I want to see how hairy this guy is. The Bible just makes it a point over and over again how hairy this guy is. He's hairy, he's red. Um, that's this guy Esau. And he's a man's man, outdoorsman, a duck dynasty ginger guy who's just out there doing all the stuff. But that's him. And he gets, he gets his, his father Isaac's favor. Like he's, he is the firstborn son, which already kind of put him in that place to get his father favor. But because of even his proclivities and what he's into, he is getting that even more. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, is a little bit more, to be nice, domesticated. Okay, like he likes staying at home. He likes baking cookies. He's a little bit more of a mama's boy. Like, and, and he has that favor garnered from Rebecca. And all of that, honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. Or like, oh man, you know, you should have done things different. Like, 
if you're Rebecca, put yourself in her shoes, and you know that this kid is going to be the one who's going to serve the other, like there's a natural proclivity in paying attention to those things. And so one day, um, Esau, he goes out to, to hunt, and I guess he doesn't have great luck that particular day, and he comes in, and he is starving, just absolutely hungry. And remember, he has the birthright. He has the position of the one who should take care and fully embrace this honor and privileges that it is to be the firstborn of his father. Now, here's why that's important. And we don't really grasp this because we're down here and like your daddy's just somebody else's son. And like, we don't really get that stuff down here. But remember two generations ahead, you have this guy named Abraham and God shows up to him. Like God shows up to him and says, listen, big fella, your lineage is going to be a nation through which all other nations will be blessed. Look at the stars. Try to count them. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Go pick up some sand and then go look at the whole entire beach. That's how many descendants you're going to have. This is the blessing that this family has. So Esau should be at this place where he's like, I'm part of that line and I'm the firstborn in that. That's huge. My granddad got this blessing from God. He shows up and because he's a little bit hungry, he asks his brother, I'm about to die. Give me some food. Now, Jacob, whose name means footholder, which is like a heel, heel holder, heel grasper. Another way it can be translated as cheater. It's this kind of conniving, this, this fox-like deceptiveness. That's what his name Jacob means. He kind of capitalizes on this moment. And he goes, oh, you're so hungry? How about this? Give me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of stew. And Esau is just a Neanderthal. He just goes, okay. <laughs> Basically, I mean, I'm, I'm, you go read the story yourself. This is my, a little bit of my interpretation here. He, he gives the birthright away. And he's going to come out, he's going to start whining to his dad in a little bit and he's going to say, he tricked me. Well, he didn't trick him. He's just negligent of what God had given him, which I'll just kind of pause right there. You better pay very close attention to your appetites. You, I'm not talking about your hunger, what you're metaphorically hungry for, what you're even spiritually hungry for, what you're relationally hungry for, because appetites satisfied in the wrong way have ruined many of marriages, many of businesses, many of churches, Many lives, appetites, satisfied the wrong way. After all, what did they do in the garden? They didn't draw something. What did they do? They ate something. And here we have same idea of an appetite causing somebody a lot of trouble. So that whole thing happens. Boys grow up, and there's animosity. All that stuff's happening in the home. And their, their dad, Isaac, he is getting ready to die. Isaac's getting ready to die, and he knows at this point he's got to give his blessing to his boys. He's going to have this blessing, which he's been thinking of their whole life. This is not just some random little offshoot like, hey, I'm getting ready to die. Come in. We'll give my last words. We'll give a hug. We'll say a prayer together, and it'll be the end. A Hebrew father would have been thinking about what he was going to tell his children from the moment they were going to be born that was going to be their important words that he was going to speak over them that would come to fruition. And remember, this is a family that God's hand is upon, that God's blessing is upon. And so Rebecca hears that Isaac is getting ready to die, and she 
goes and gets Jacob and she devises this plan. She says, hey, like, I know what's about to happen here. I need you to make yourself, she's talking to Jacob, I need you to make yourself seem like you're your super hairy, smelly brother, okay? And they kill some goats, they put them on his arms. This is a whole weird thing that the scriptures go through. And we'll pick back up in the story uh, at about, let's go to Genesis 27. 27, 26. We'll read through this. Fascinating. And again, you'll read this and go, man, I thought my family was dramatic and crazy. These people, they take the cake. Genesis 27, 26. All right, so at this point, he's gotten his uh, Esau costume on. He has cooked a meal, which was the meal that Esau was supposed to be cooking, and he is showing up to Isaac. So younger brother is now cut in line to try to get the blessing from the father. Meanwhile, Esau is still out in the field trying to kill stuff to make the dinner that Rebekah and Jacob were together to make. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Jacob there, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. So he's like, yep, you smell like dirty outdoor rascal, stinky. And he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is of the smell of the field, and the Lord has blessed him. Now, this goes back to the point I was trying to make to you. I don't believe that Isaac wants Jacob to get this birthright blessing. I don't believe in this moment Isaac is in line with what God wants. If he knows that God has said, your younger will serve your older, he does not start his blessing this way. So either he is oblivious to the fact or God just continued to work in the midst of it. I lean to the fact that Isaac is just against it and is trying to go, I hear what Rebecca said God said. I don't believe it. I'm going to let things happen my way, the way they're supposed to happen. So he says, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine, verse 29. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. All right, now here's where things get crazy. So as soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob, scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, so he's just barely left the room, new scene starts, Esau, his brother, comes in from hunting, verse 31, he also made this delicious food and brought it into his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game. He's just so proud that this, that you may bless me. His father, Isaac said to him, this key here, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn son, Isaac. Verse 33, this is why I think Isaac knew it from the beginning Verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me and I ate it before you came and I have blessed him. See, those are the words of a man, in my opinion here, and again, I, I can't prove this, but in my opinion, those are the words of a man who realized God has circumvented his plans. I wanted to bless my son, who's an excellent hunter. I wanted to bless the son that I get along with the most. I want to bless a son that after all, despite all of those things, is still the firstborn. This is the way it's supposed to go, God. 
And he comes in and he is trembling with anger, realizing that, and you have to be careful on this, I don't really even label Isaac as being truly deceived. As much as it is, God's plan came to fruition by any means necessary. And that's what happens. We go on from here and it gets even more sad, honestly. Verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Again, he was implying there. His name is Cheater, dad. Come on, pay attention. For he has cheated me these two times. He, has, he, he still, he hasn't got over the stuff in the past. But again, that's that whole birthright bowl of stew thing. That wasn't Jacob's fault. That was just him being stupid. He took away my birthright. No. Uh, what happened right there? Did he take away his birthright or did he give it away? Yeah. When we do really stupid things, sometimes we write, rewrite history, right? To make it look like it's in our favor. Maybe y'all do. I have. I don't know. So he's trying to rewrite history right here. And, and then verse um, 37, Isaac is answering back to him. Isaac says, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained them. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. He's just begging for a blessing here. And Esau lifted his voice and wept. So you have a grown, hairy, even redder than normal man, probably on his hands and knees, weeping and crying because he missed out on the blessing from his father. Now, track all the way back to the beginning when he had that appetite. This is a blessing that he is not missing out on. This is a blessing that he gave up on. Which, man, I just say... This is, this is where we can get ourselves into trouble. Like you have got so many blessings in your life. Please realize that if you give up on those now, you may miss out on those later. Come to the story and we do find out that God through Isaac does give him a blessing, but it doesn't sound really good. I would not necessarily want this. Look at verse 39. Then Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, away from me. Away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of, the, of heaven on high. He's telling him the exact opposite of what he told Jacob. Jacob was like, you're going to be in all the fat places and you're going to be in all the wet places. Like he says the opposite to Esau here. He says, by your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, again, this is this crazy family drama. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing from which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Some family drama right here. This is so proper stuff. Now, why in the world? Okay, so, so fast forward to the book of Hebrews. There's this pastor in the church of Hebrews who's trying to encourage the faith of his people. And he leverages back this moment here. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm going, I'm kind of reading the story going, well, how is my faith growing or nurtured or strengthened to hold tight when I read this crazy soap opera, Jerry Springer family stuff that's going on in this passage? Well, 
here's what I think it does. And here's why I think this comes into play. What is happening here is, is really, and this is the faith of Isaac. Isaac is having to go against what he wanted to surrender to what the author of the story wanted. And I think this is where we can learn our thing about heroic faith. Heroic faith trusts the story and it trusts the author. Even when the thing that we would have wrote if the pen was in our hand is exactly the opposite. And maybe this is you right now. You're going, got, got down here, it doesn't seem like the way it's supposed to seem. I'm just anxiety riddled and I don't feel like this is how things are supposed to go. But we get to this place where then we have to go, well, I need to trust the author. Who's really writing my story? And we go to the word of God and this is where it shows us these promises. And the word of God promises that those of us who are in Christ, we will experience peace. So, so I can be in my life right now and go, okay, this is not making sense, but I lean into the promises of God, the one who is the author, one who's writing the story, and I may be experiencing anxiety right now, but peace is coming. I may be experiencing unhealth and unrest, but I trust the author of the story who's already written in his word that the promise of a redeemed, fully restored, perfect body is coming. I can be burdened with grief and pain and maybe even shame in this life right now but i trust what i see at the end of this story where it says that there will be a day where jesus is going to come he's going to return he's going to set up his kingdom here and it'll be a place where there is no more weeping there is no more crying that every tear that we ever cried is wiped away from our eyes and he redeems and he restores and he puts it all back together heroic faith goes this is not how i ever would have dreamed to write this story it goes against everything that i ever wanted but I trust that his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And both his thoughts and his ways are the right thoughts and the right ways. And I surrender to them. That's why you don't see Isaac in this moment after all this happens and he's got his really red hairy son on his knees, weeping and crying, throwing a tantrum. That's why he doesn't say, Esau, get up, take your bow and arrow and go kill your brother. What a deceitful, wicked, terrible, brother that is that's why he doesn't say that and again this was this was a very deceptive thing that he did but what happens here and this is the reason why why what you're seeing is isaac just going i knew it all along and even though i knew it all along i didn't want to know it all along and the fact of the matter is when you've heard from god you've heard from god and he didn't trust that so my encouragement, my hope for you is trust, 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 trust. If you've heard from God, what he said is true, believe it. The story goes on and we see the next patriarch here. It's Jacob. Now he, he's got a crazy life, goes through a lot of wild things. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and fast forward. I want to try to give you a little bit of context to the story. Fast forward to Genesis 50. Matter of fact, make it 48. Go here back. 48. Genesis 48. Isn't that a good sound? Love it. Thank you for bringing your Bible to church. So good. Genesis 48. So to give you just a hair, I wish I could go in and explain the life of this guy. Um, it's crazy, Jacob's life. And he's back and forth through manipulating and conniving and twisting lies and telling stories and working against people to try to leverage his plans. And, and honestly, there's a lot of things about his life that are just not admirable. But what we see in the story is a guy 
who has a zeal and a fire and a passion and a guy who bends the rules, sometimes even breaks the rules because he embodies and, and understands what weight has been put on him because of the blessing that God has given his family. He, he messes it up, but if there's one thing that can be said about Jacob, he is a man on the move. He is not inactive. There is no story where we have to see God going, hey, um, Jacob, I don't know if you realize this, but I want to bless all nations through you. So I need you to quit playing video games for 14 hours every day and actually get off your butt and go do stuff. No, what we see in Jacob's life is he was a man who understood the call that God had placed on his life. He got it wrong a lot, but he was moving. And, and hear me, God has a whole lot better chances of working with a moving target than one who is willing to just say, I'm hungry, I need what I need. I don't really take advantage of, or I'm not super concerned with what call or blessing God has put on my life. I'm gonna have the Esau spirit who goes, yeah, I see what God has placed on my life, but I want what I want right now. I want to be satisfied now, and I'll take whatever shortcut I can to get that, as opposed to working, striving. Maybe and even in Jacob's case, being very shrewd in how I go about seeing God move and work. So we come to this story where Jacob has now come to the end of his life. And we see some things kind of happening again here at the end of his life. And the thing that I love about the story of Jacob, there are some redeeming qualities, is this guy has this word. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. It's not pronounced chutzpah. It's pronounced chutzpah. Chutzpah. Hutzpah. It's a Hebrew word. Hutzpah. You kind of got to say it with a little, the, the ch- when you see a Hebrew word and it starts with CH at the beginning, you got to chutzpah. You have to, you got to hit this at the back of your throat. You got to get back there. Chutzpah. All right. It's this term that if you're like me, you have a child who's, who's what you are, uh, counselors would call strong willed. <laughs> right. Anybody got a strong willed child at their house? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody was that strong willed child right now? Yeah. Cool. So, so Jacob, he has got this chutzpah. He is this strong-willed. He is all. He is not all over the place. He is. He has his eyes set on his prize, and and he meets his match sometimes. But this guy is willing to do whatever it takes to get whatever he's after. And this is this quality that I want to lean into here for a second for some of you. Some of you have maybe bought this lie that to become a Christian means that you become safe and you don't ruffle any feathers and you just kind of enter into this Ned Flanders existence where you just bless you, thank you, and, and, and these things. What I'm, what I'm here to say is if we are in a spiritual war, then, then what God is after is not an army of people who are safe. I read to you the words from the Hamas general and how he, how he referred to Christians. He's, he, he called the, there, he said, we look forward to a day when there will be no more treacherous Christianity. Treacherous, chutzpah, call us what you want to call us. But my hope and my prayer is that God is rising up a church that has some of that in there, some tenacity, some grit, some zeal, some passion. 
Something that embodies this reality that no, like we will be treacherous, not for each other, not amongst each other, not hurting each other, not evil, but we will be treacherous to everything that would stand against this church rising up and God's mission and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. We will be so treacherous to anything that comes against that because we are fighting not from, not for victory, but we're fighting from it. And that's, that's, that's where we get this freedom to have a little bit of that confidence, swagger that just knows, no, we are part of this land. We are part of this lineage and we have our Lord, the true King of Kings on our side. So we see this story at the very end of our guy Jacob's life where Joseph has risen up. Joseph has gone through all the being sold into slavery, going into the Potiphar house, getting put back in prison, then being risen up to go and be with Pharaoh. I don't have time to navigate through all that with us today, but all that's happened. And at this point in time, Jacob has moved his family to Egypt because they, that was the only way they would survive. God gave Joseph, Pharaoh, uh, God gave Joseph favor through Pharaoh. So now the family, this Hebrew family is able to survive based off of the favor that God has granted them. Remember, God shows up, tells Joseph, hey, here's what you need to do so this famine doesn't affect Egypt. This is the only place in the whole entire world at that time where there was food for them to eat. So the whole Hebrew family finds their way there and they're coming to the end of Jacob's life. And Joseph has two sons, an older one and a younger one, similar. And he's getting ready to just, just pull out his blessing right here. So 48, um, Genesis 48, verse 12. Then Joseph removed them, those are the kids, from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them, both Ephraim and his right hand, toward Israel's left hand. Israel is what Jacob got renamed. Israel means, in Hebrew, Israel means God prevails or God conquers. And Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he, and he blessed Joseph and said, so here's what's happening in this scene. Joseph shows up and he's face to face with his father. Okay? He's face to face with his father and he's got his two kids. In his left hand, he has the kid who is directly in front of the right hand of his father, Isaac. The right hand was the right hand of blessing. The right hand was the hand that was supposed to go on the firstborn for the firstborn to get the blessing. In Joseph's left hand, he has his secondborn child. And this was the hand that lined up with his left hand. All right? Track it with me? Just understand how opposites work? Okay? What Jacob does in the story, and this is just Jacob being Jacob, Joseph kind of brings his kids down, and you see Jacob take his hands and do this, and put his hand on the head of the younger, doing the very same thing. God's just circling the story back around. Because remember, you have Jacob, now Israel, the younger son serving, or the younger son being the leader, getting the blessing, getting the birthright. Now he's doing the same thing right here in the story again. And again, here's, the, here's what's happening here is this guy, Jacob, watched his father trust the story. And now this guy, Jacob, is trusting the story as well as he's passing down his birthrights to the next generation. 
And so the heroic thing we learn about faith here is heroic faith is a faith that transcends death. It's a faith that looks forward past what's going on in my life. The word transcend means to go past where things are normally supposed to stop. And most of us in our lives, when we think about our faith, sometimes we can just get caught up in our faith and my faith is gonna get me to heaven, the end. But here's what I want you to understand. For many of you, your life is going to have ripple effects that echo on into eternity because of what you do or don't do with your faith. You have no idea how the decisions you make this week for Jesus or not for Jesus will have eternal effects. You have no idea the boundaries you set for your kids this week, the weeks to come, will have eternal effects. You have no idea how important it is for you to continue to show up and be a part of what God is doing through his local church and the effects that that will have on your kids for generations. Heroic faith is a faith that transcends death. It's a faith that looks forward to the life of other people and the life that they'll have in God. And so my my encouragement to you is begin to think about how you can pass on the blessing that it is to know God the way you know him onto other people. Now, some of you are here like, well, I don't have anybody to like sit down and do these hand cross blessings and stuff too. Well, here's what you need to understand. When you leave your work or you retire from your work, will your faith at that workplace transcend your retirement or your resigning or your firing? Will it go on past when you're no longer there? Or will it be just something that nobody even knew you had faith? Students in the room, middle school, high schoolers, Will your faith transcend graduation? Will there be any underclassmen, teachers, who you impacted by your faith? Or will they just have no idea? They just thought you were just another kid. Will your faith transcend the people or the, the things that you're a part of? Because you're going to go through phases. You're going to middle school, high school. That's a phase. College, that's a phase. You, you, one time at a, at a, a beginner job, that's a phase. When you get into a management job, that's a phase. Starting a family, that's a phase. Having a marriage, that's a phase. Will your faith transcend the moments in time when those phases are over? Heroic faith does, because it has those things in mind from the very beginning. The last patriarch we see is this guy, Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus. That's the whole thing we're getting ready to get into next week with Moses. Made mention of the Exodus. This is God's people getting set free from the rule of Egypt, the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. We see this in Genesis 50. Genesis 50, you probably only got one page to flip over here. Genesis 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. He's making sure that his faith transcends his death. I'm about to die. Look where he's talking about. I'm talking about what God is going to do after I'm not here anymore. But God will visit you and bring you up from this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. So he's, he's bringing the whole family circle back into play here. He's saying, boys, we're down here in Egypt, but boys, this ain't our home. Don't let me stay buried here. God is going to get us back to there. And there's coming a time where God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And what we see, if you 
fast forward to Exodus um, 13, 19, is Moses eventually did do exactly what Joseph told them to do. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, you see Moses fulfilling that prophecy, doing exactly what he promised him he would do. And they take this guy's bones and they bring him back to the promised land and they bury Joseph there right outside of Canaan in a place called Shechem, doing exactly what they said they were gonna do. So again, what do we, why in the world is this pastor's church of Hebrews going, all right, guys, <clears throat> you remember how Joseph like gave us really specific death and burial instructions? Let that encourage your faith. Like on the, on like the surface level, we read that and go like, we're talking about mummies getting transported. Like how does this affect my life? What does this have to do with anything? Well, you, you gotta dig deeper sometimes. The thing I think we learn about heroic faith in this is heroic faith, it remains fixated on the future. Remember, God had given this family and this lineage, and this is what's so awesome about the story, and you see this continue to come up over and over again. These men, whether it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or here Joseph, they all embodied this reality that we are not home here. This is not our place. We are strangers, exiles, and sojourners. This place is not our home. This place isn't created to satisfy and sustain me. I was created in God for a place far better than this. Don't let my bones stay here. Let them go somewhere else. They kept their mind on the future, not what they were in right then, but what they were headed to in Christ. And what I love about this story is it reminds us of the same thing. It reminds us of the simple truth that heroic faith keeps its eyes on what's to come. Not on the things of of down here, but on the things above. Remember where we started this chapter 11. He said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And we talked about it in week one of chapter 11. That means that hope is a foundation or dissatisfaction is a foundational element of our faith. If you're down here and like everything's just going swimmingly for you, you, it's all just sunshines and rainbows and your kids are making straight A's and they don't need braces and it's all just good and you got a good health report and everything is going swimmingly for you and your life and you're just satisfied. You're at peace. You just love it. You're just like, oh, it just feels so good right now. It's just all so nice. And that's how you feel. Be very careful to mark that as a blessing. The people in this room who would say those things are the people whose faith I'm most nervous for. Because you may be the ones who are not experiencing the blessing of God. You're actually experiencing the curse of being fully satisfied here as home, not hoping for the home that is to come. The one that Jesus said, I, hey, guys, don't freak out that I'm not gonna be with you anymore. I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. And you're part of that you if you're in Christ. He's preparing a place for you right now. So what that means is we should be like Jacob, leaning over our staff, this, this tool, this instrument that represents a sojourner. I'm, I'm leaning over my staff. I, even at the very end of his life, he's holding up this tool. He's getting ready to die, leaning over his walking stick, the tool of someone who is on a continual journey, never finding a place of rest, saying, this place was never my home. I'm going somewhere else.